everybody. Welcome to Don't Get in the Van. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Mandy. And today Mandy's bringing us a 90s case. Um, It is going to be a little bit of a sad one. We are talking about a child abduction. Um, However, a couple good things came out of it. It was a groundbreaking case for child abduction protocol in um, police precincts. So who are we talking about today, Mandy? So today we are talking about Polly Hannah class. So I'm sure everybody is in the true crime community and maybe even outside of it um, is very familiar with the name Polly class. So Polly was born January 3rd, 1981 in Petaluma, California to Mark class and Eve Nickel. So Petaluma is a city in Sonoma County, California that's located in the North Bay region of the San Francisco Bay area. And the population in 1993, when this case occurred, was 48,569. So not a very big town. Town. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of people knew each other. Um, it, they would kind of, you know, the neighborhoods especially really knew one another. So they'd notice if somebody was around that they weren't used to seeing on a daily basis. Or Right. So... This case, I'm just going to jump right into what happens because she's 12 years old. So there's not a lot of background that I can really give you on this little girl. Uh, This happens Friday night, October 1st of 1993. And like I said, Polly is 12 at this time. So Polly and her two friends, their names are Kate and Jillian, are having a slumber party. So we all remember having fun slumber parties when we were little. And they were super, super excited. And they're making lots and lots of noise, of course, in her bedroom. And around 9.45, her mom came into the room and she's just like, hey, girls, try and keep it down. She had a migraine. She was prone to migraines. And, you know, Polly was like, oh, sorry, mom, we'll try and keep it down. They're not going to keep it down, obviously, right? So that's the mother's train of thought. So she goes into her room. She decides to go to bed early. And she takes her prescription medication for her migraine headaches. So she wants to just go to sleep and she doesn't want to hear all those chatter and the noise. She wants her to be able to have fun, Polly, but she's not feeling well. So she wants to go to bed. So around 1030 PM, her mother is sleeping at this point and the girls are still up in the room. Their whole thing was, we're not going to sleep the whole night. Right. So they're hanging out (laughs) 1030. And their Polly's bedroom door opens and there's an intruder standing there. So a man holding a knife from their kitchen. He comes into the room, ties up the girls and he asks them, whose house is this? He says, he's not going to hurt anybody. He just wants to get money. So the girls actually show him, or I think maybe Polly just tells him, Hey, we have some money here. He doesn't go and get the money. He just continues to tie up the girls. He gags the girls. He covers their heads with pillowcases, but he takes Polly and he says, girls count to a thousand. And when you're finished counting, we'll be right back. But then the intruder took Polly and left the house. So the little girls, they manage to untie themselves. They don't count to a thousand. They just wait till they hear him go Mm -hmm. untie themselves, run into Polly's mother's room. They all contact the police and within minutes, the police arrived, which when I read that too, I was like, oh, within minutes, like a lot of cases they're waiting for a lot forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe because it's a small town. When the police search the room, they start to find different um, 
types of evidence, right? So they find binding materials and strips of cloth. The cords from the Nintendo game had been cut and the purse and a purse strap had been cut off the purse and was on the floor. So they're not able to collect any more evidence from the scene, but they're like, all right, this, we're not getting enough stuff. Like, how are we going to solve this case? So they decide to take the rug that the girls were sitting on. So okay. yeah, they are thinking that maybe they can find something more. So the FBI start to offer their assistance and they appear on the scene a bit after midnight, which I thought was pretty quick as well. I mean, right. within an hour and a half, the FBI arrived. Special agent Ed Fryer became the lead on the case and said this case must have been a stranger abduction. And that's the hardest type of kidnapping cases to solve because they're very, very rare. Right. They don't know anybody or have any leads as far right. as like, because, yeah. They have no idea. The two girls are the witnesses. So that's good. And they have the little girls right away meet with a sketch artist and they're able to get a pretty good description of the abductor. But the girls are super stressed out. They've just been tied up. Their friend is gone. It, so it was kind of... I don't know how much really accurate information you can get at that point, but they right. tried their best to give a fairly good description. The FBI called in the evidence response team whose sole responsibility is to collect evidence using the most sophisticated equipment that they had in 1993. Tony Maxwell led the efforts of this team. And he said that, you know, the first 24 hours of a small child being kidnapped this is, this is kind of the way that they think like 24 hours, they're most likely to be harmed, but probably within the first couple of days, they could even be killed. So he's like, we need to move. Yeah. They're crucial fast. Yes. They use an electrostatic dust print machine that picks up tiny hairs and fibers when a positive electric charge is passed over a sheet of mylar and then sent to the lab. Fancy. I know. I didn't look this up, but I'm wondering if they still use this. Hmm. Probably yeah. because I don't think they do like the, you know, like the dust yeah. thing yeah. that much anymore. So this, uh, a UV light. Okay. The UV light was actually new at this time as well, which is interesting. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And they used it to see fingerprints that the, that the original police may have missed. And they said there are over four dozen more fingerprints found at the scene when they use the UV light. Holy crap. Well, yeah. Parents, all the other kids that yeah. have ever been in there. Yeah, exactly. They did attribute all of these to family and friends, just like you said. Fuck. Yep. But Finally, a palm print was found on the crossbar of Polly's bed where the abductor must have briefly placed his hand to like brace himself, right? Mm -hmm. But at this time, the fingerprint database does not include palm prints, only fingerprints. Yes. But this palm print can be collected and it can be used once they find someone that they believe to be the kidnapper, right? And then they can right. go ahead and cross match, match. Then. Mm -hmm. right that that will be good when they can actually get somebody um so the palm print is sent to michael j smith who's a fingerprint specialist with the fbi and after he examines it he determines there's enough detail to capture the print in a photograph and it was now able to be filed until the perpetrator is caught 
the authorities start to cover Polly's neighborhood and by dawn. So they haven't stopped by dawn. More than 100 officers were starting a 24 hour search for the abductor. They had already helicopters, bloodhounds, and all points bulletin. And that's issued to all agencies. The all points bulletin, and this will come into play later again, it's issued to like surrounding agencies. It's not like cross, it's not sent to different states. It's not sent to like anywhere else except for kind of nearby, right? Right. So it's not a lot of communication across jurisdictions. Right. Already listen to the difference though, in how quickly they're getting on stuff with this one. Whereas the 12 year old in my last case that we talked about with the dating game killer, they were like, Oh, she might show up tonight. Right. Didn't do anything till the next morning. These guys have been working throughout the night. So nineties is already a step ahead. Yeah, it is. You're right. It's already moving up. Thank goodness. So every house was searched and Polly's neighbors were interviewed. Several of the neighbors gave statements about a man who looked a lot like the sketch uh, that was lurking around the neighborhood. One young boy said that they saw this man standing outside of Polly's house, kind of in the shadows in the corner, which is super weird. Creepy. Yeah, I think he was was playing basketball or something with his friends. And they uh, had to go, I think their ball went over close to the house or something. And they got the ball and they looked and they're like, oh, who is this dude? And he was there for a while. So this little boy, he's like, I know all of my neighbors and I've never seen this man before. But the description that he gives the police matches the description of the the abductor. So this one gets to me. So there was another neighbor, an older like, I don't know, 20s or so. He was playing video games with some friends in a rental directly behind Polly's house. And he said, while he was playing video games, he looks out the window and he sees a man standing on Polly's back porch, seeming to try to get into the back door. Uh, This man also matched the description of the sketch, but none of the neighbors contacted the police. What? Dude, you see someone trying to get trying into to get into a neighbor's house that yeah. you know has kids and yeah. you're just not you just eh, just keep playing a video game well and she's a single mom you know it's just her and polly oh and there's a dude on the back porch trying to get into their house i'm like oh my god this guy playing video games i'm gonna smack him the police were continuing their efforts around Petaluma while the FBI focused on clearing family members. And then they moved on to registered sex offenders and criminals in their database. Uh, they branched out to surrounding counties as well, but nothing was coming out of the search. The following day, the hunt was still continuing, but with not only the police and the FBI, but with neighbors and citizens who lived in the area, this became, as I mentioned in the beginning, the largest manhunt known at the time. In two days, 50,000 flyers had been distributed. There was also a telephone bank that was manned 24 hours a day to field phone calls and tips. I mean, how quick, this is pretty awesome. Yeah. A copy of every lead that was called in was shared with the FBI and the Petaluma police. The search center had screened 60,000 calls. And out of these, the authorities had followed up on 12,000 of these leads. This was only possible at the time, too, because the FBI had a computer processor that could triage the value of the leads and then make assignments to like track progress. Okay. Which is cool. Yeah. And I mean, isn't this 
I'm asking you a very random question. You probably do not know this answer. If you do, I'm super impressed. When was the computer developed? Because I think this is pretty. I don't remember. New. I don't either, but it was around this time. Well, I know it came out in the night in, in yeah, like like early nineties, right? Eight, or late eighties, early nineties, somewhere around in there. Okay. So this is it all was very new. new. Yes. Yeah. It's all new technology. Cause uh, when I was watching one of these documentaries, he was just like, yeah. And we had this computer database. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Whoa, you well, know? I'm watching Pam and Tommy right now. And you know, their sex tape was like put uh, out through the wide, the world wide web. And they're talking <laughs> about like, yeah, it's this new thing. It's the world wide web. So yeah. It, and that was um, in the early nineties. Yeah, so. so a big deal. It's very new. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're back to at the FBI trace evidence lab in Washington, DC. So there's a forensic specialist, Chris Allen, and he starts to examine all of the evidence taken from Polly's room. He noticed when untying the thin nylon straps that had bound Kate and Jillian, her little girlfriends, they had jagged edges that he was able to line up. So he took them. He's like, okay, these line up. So these came from the same source. There were also small fibers that that electrostatic dust machine had picked up. And he was able to determine that these fibers came from the abductor's automobile, which is pretty cool. Okay. Lastly, he found after vacuuming the rug in Polly's room, a dark brown forcibly removed head hair that had a three to four millimeter root shaft on it. So that's pretty good too. They can get DNA off that. Right. So now we are 48 hours after the abduction and Polly's father receives a phone call who he believes is Polly. He said it sounded just like Polly. And she tells him that she's in a hotel room somewhere and that her abductor had stepped out for a moment. And he's like, Polly, Polly, like, give me more information. Where are you? And then the line goes dead. So the phone at this point had not been set up for a trace. So all they could do was wait for another call. I know for all of this um, force behind this, I feel like these, there's these little small details that are being, you know, oh, yeah, that, yeah. that weren't thought of in time. Yeah. But you know, but they're doing, I mean, they're doing all they can. They're already doing more than they've done in other cases. So. Absolutely. So they're waiting for another call. Finally, another call comes through that sounded again, like Polly. And she was only able to talk for a very short time before she had to hang up but this time long enough to make a trace. Oh, good. It's awesome. So they traced the call to a house 30 miles away. Uh, when the agents arrive, they're like, this does not feel right. This looks like a normal family home. They go inside all crazy and freak the fuck out of this family, right? It's mm-hmm. just a normal family home. So there's no sign of Polly, no sign of the abductor. And when the agents sit down with one of the young girls in the house, they find oh. out that the girl had been dared by her classmates to make the call and pretend to be Polly. It had all been a cruel joke. Wow. But this, yeah. But this was super heartbreaking on so many levels, but mainly because that had been the only sliver of hope and, you know, that Polly could have been alive after like, oh my no God, contact. can you imagine how much trouble she got in by her parents? She for doing better, that? she better get in trouble. Oh my, I guarantee she did. There's oh no God. way. There is a oh reenactment too. And the mom was just giving her this like horrible look, you know, but um, yeah, that's a horrible thing to do. Oh yeah. My mom would have whooped my ass. Yeah. You know, <laughs> oh my God. What? That is just, 
It's awful. It's awful. Yeah, that's terrible. She's a young child. I get it. They do stupid shit, but that was just bad. Well, they right. just don't understand how like serious it is. No, they but don't. It's just like, whoa. Yeah, I know. Ugh. All right. In mid-October, Kate and Jillian, her little girlfriends, uh, meet with another forensic artist. And now they can give her a little bit more to work with because they are a lot less stressed. So it's been a couple weeks and they're like, it's a better time to sit. So let's see what we can get out of this. With this new sketch, new flyers were distributed of this picture that, like I said, had much, much more detail. So when it comes to stranger abductions, they have it in thirds, right? So a third of the abductees are recovered alive. A third are deceased and a third are never heard from again. And when I saw these stats, I was like, oh my God, I mean, recovered alive is what you want, right? right? But a third are never heard from again. I mean, you don't know anything. Not knowing is probably worse than, yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine. I don't know. But when I read that, I was like, it's just the worst. So at this point, there is an award offered for Polly's return. And they receive a call after this award is mentioned, right? And this call is from somebody who demands a $10,000 ransom. They're like, we have Polly. We need $10,000. This time they trace the call to a Petaluma apartment. And a whole SWAT team shows up, like the whole shebang. Like for the other one, it was, they did, couldn't get so many people together. It was still scary though for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one's like a fucking SWAT. <laughs> yeah. So this dumbass 20 year old James Hurd was arrested for attempted extortion and posing as a kidnapper. Oh my so God. Again, they can't ignore these leads, but it's so frustrating. And think of all the resources that are being used up. A whole mm-hmm. SWAT team goes yeah, out. Waste, just, wasted. Yeah. Cause he's like, asshole. yeah, he's like, oh, I'm gonna get $10,000. I don't understand what people are thinking. I honestly don't. Yeah. What happens when you don't produce Polly? You think you're still just going to get the money? Like what? <laughs> yeah, no. And you're going to jail. Yeah. Ugh. All right. On October 17th, a letter from Polly's parents to the kidnapper was published in the San Francisco Examiner. They say, whoever you are, wherever you are, please return Polly to her family. She belongs here. We miss Polly so much. We miss the twinkle in her eye and her sweet humor. We long to see her beautiful smile and hear her musical voice. Then they write just to Polly, our darling, if you can read this, please know that your mommy and daddy love you so much. And we will continue to search for you until we can hold you safely in our loving arms again. So across the country, banners like everywhere, banners spring up. There's candlelight visuals with thousands of people that attend and her favorite color is lavender. So people start wearing lavender ribbons and to just show their support and the search never stops. So at this point, the Navy joins with the rest of the police, FBI and volunteers. Like I said, it is huge. crazy. Yeah. People are all up on this, trying to figure out where Polly is. She almost became like America's daughter. You yeah. Know? November 28th, 1993. So we are two months after the kidnapping. The police finally get their first real lead. 
in Sonoma County. Petaluma is in Sonoma County as well, but this is in Santa Rosa, which is 20 miles north of Petaluma. And a sheriff is called out to the house of Dana Jaffe at the end. She has like a really long, long, long winding drive. And it even has a name called Pythian Road. Oh, wow. I know. Dana had uh, just been walking around and inspecting her property and noticed something odd that could be of use to the investigators. So she led the investigators into the woods. So she has like woods and all kinds of stuff in her house is way back there. So into the woods by her house to a clearing. And in this clearing, she had found large pieces of silk cloth that had been made into a hood a pair of young girls tights that had been tied into a knot and human hair was inside that knot. And there was also masking tape. So she's like, what is in my words? Right. This is her property. When she's talking to the sheriff, she remembers the night about two months before when she caught a trespasser on her property near this area. So she'd been out her babysitter was watching her kid. She gets home, you know, they exchange niceties, whatever the babysitter leaves. The babysitter uh, had just left the house and she notices a man walking down this long winding driveway. I think she pulls over and he says that he was stuck on the side of the road and he wants her to get out of the car. And she's mm-hmm. like, that's not happening. Yeah. So yeah, fuck that. So he's like, I'm broken down. He had a pinto. I'm broken down. Like, would you get out of the car? She's like, no. So she keeps driving. And remember, there's no cell phones. Cell phones. Yeah. None. Uh, So she keeps driving. She leaves him right there. And she goes and finds the the first payphone she can. And she's like, hey, Dana, there is a creepy man on your property who's driving a Pinto. He says he's stuck. He tried to get me on my car. And you sh- I don't know. You need to figure out, like, go check this out, right? Or call somebody. So Dana's a badass. And she grabs a baseball bat and her daughter and gets in her truck <laughs> and starts down her long driveway. So she sees the car that the babysitter had mentioned, but the man was nowhere to be, to be found. So she drives directly into town and calls the police from another payphone. A bit after midnight, two deputies show up and they find the trespasser and he smells like alcohol and he has leaves in his hair like he'd been rolling in the leaves. (laughs) Oh, so this is the stupidest excuse. He says he'd been out sightseeing and then he had noticed he was on private property it's midnight. What are you sightseeing? Yeah. What are you sightseeing? Yeah. It's dark. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you have uh, night vision. Yeah. I, and I don't understand. I was like, that's the stupidest shit I've ever heard. So he says that um, he noticed he was on private property. So he tries to turn his car around and he gets uh, stuck. So then he goes underneath his car and he's trying to free it. But the deputies are like, okay. The way his car is positioned, there's not even enough room to get under the car. It's stuck in a way that you cannot get under the car. I don't know why you'd go under the car anyway to get your car unstuck. It's strange. So they already think he's shady, but then they find cans of beer and a plastic bag and a duffel bag in the back seat. And when they ask him if he'd been drinking, he opens a beer and starts drinking it. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Right? They're like, no. 
pour that out. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Oh, so they make him pour it out. They keep questioning him and he starts to get really upset, like just pissy and like freaking out a little bit. And they're like, all right, we're going to make this clear to you. If you don't stay calm, you are going in with us. You're going to the police station. So he starts to calm down because he doesn't want to do that. Mm-hmm. I think they should have taken him anyway. What the hell? You open a beer. So <laughs> uh, They run his license plate and it all checks out. His driving record's clean. They give him a sobriety test. And I don't know how the school does it, but he passes. They get a tow truck. They pull his car out and they send him on his way. So they follow him to the highway. This all happened the same night that Polly class was abducted. And this man's name who just, just did this whole shit show Mm -hmm. is Richard Allen Davis. So the deputy He's sitting there and he's like, okay, wait a second. This all starts to make sense. They're looking for this little girl. This dude is super shady. I like he had a clean driving record, but you can't check anything else at this point when you put their license in just your driving record. So he calls the Petaluma police department. So two detectives arrive very shortly after that to check out the scene. And they quickly determine that this is a critical crime scene. After the evidence is collected, they begin searching the mountains for Polly, and they have 25 to 30 search dogs and over 300 volunteers. They conducted extensive ground searches for her, but they came up with nothing. Okay. The police assessed Richard Allen Davis's criminal record and then found that he had just finished serving an eight-year sentence for kidnapping. (sighs) Yeah. He only got eight years for kidnapping. Right. So he did all kinds of shit though. So in 1976, he was arrested for robbery and kidnapping and assault with the attempt to commit rape. In 1978, he'd been arrested for another kidnapping and a couple counts of assault with a deadly weapon. In 1984, he'd been arrested in a kidnapping case. Again, assault with a deadly weapon and assault with a firearm. The arrest photo on file matched the two girls' description of the kidnapper. And his mom lived in Petaluma, and so that gave him a reason to be in the area. How many times can you get arrested for kidnapping before they put you away forever? Right. You're clearly going to keep doing it. This this is the kind of thing that, like, I don't fucking get. I know it's so eight years. Do we know how many years he got the, for the other times? No, uh, not enough. Obviously not enough. He's fucking still out and kidnapped Polly. So, right. Like, are you fucking kidding me? Mm-hmm. I know it's sick. It's so stupid. Oh, okay. So the items that were found on Dana's property were immediately flown to Chris Allen at the FBI trace evidence lab. The most interesting to the agents was a piece of cloth that was found in the woods. So remember the cloth pieces that he fit together? He found the third piece on this woman's land. Okay. So he's like, okay, this matches perfectly. That cut edges, everything was a perfect puzzle piece. Yeah. So detectives feel that if they can get Richard Allen Davis in custody, then the rest is going to start to come together. So they find that he actually surprise has an outstanding warrant for breaking parole and a DUI. So this is enough to bring him in. Uh, but he's How not, does that not pop up when they check his license? All they can check 
Well, yeah, driving record. Wouldn't that come up with the DUI? You would think that a DUI and an outstanding warrant for a DUI would pop up when they check his his ID. I would think so. That's the kind of thing that's supposed to pop up when you pull somebody over. Right? Like Um, what? I'm I'm confused. I know it popped up that he had a clean driving record. So maybe warrants and all that. They said that none of that stuff was something that you could access at the time. But what about a DUI? That seems like. Well, they must have changed that since then. Because there's no fucking. I was going to say there's no fucking way. Like that doesn't eat like. That seems like something that should be on a driving record, though, period. Like, regardless 100%. of it being the 90s or it being fucking 2022, like, mm-hmm. that just seems like something that should be on there. Uh-huh, I agree. And by the way, if you're going to get pulled over and you have a warrant out, how the fuck are we supposed to know you have a warrant out unless you just get arrested, apparently? Because apparently back then you had to get arrested before they could know that you had a warrant out. Yes. Like, yes. I'm so glad that the system has been fixed because that is the biggest fucking flaw ever. Well, and think about it. Like back in the day, this is probably how a lot of people got away with everything. Everything. Yeah. Because, well, I mean, there's so many people. We could go on Bundy. (laughs) We could list them forever. Like that got pulled over and they knew nothing about it. And they're just like, yeah, cool. Yeah. They're like, oh, you can search. It's like, I'm a good driver. You're like, fuck you. Yeah. What the fuck? Oh my God. No, I've just been a serial killer my whole life and I've been arrested multiple times for, you know, rape or whatever, but yeah, no, my driving record's perfectly crystal clean. (laughs) Exactly. Oh my God. Anyway, when they go to bring him in, he's not home. So of course not. Of course not. The deputy deputy sheriff starts to secure a perimeter around the area and then they stop a van and Davis is the driver. So uh-huh. he, he called the investigators to let him know that Richard Allen David just pulled up in a van, not his Pinto anymore. And Detective Meese arrives at the scene and asks Davis to step out of the van. He informs Davis that he is under arrest for a violation of his parole. And he is like being super professional with Davis um, and with the arrest. And he's trying to create a rapport with him like from the beginning, right? Because he's like, okay, we've got to get shit on this guy. So let's be super polite. Let's be real nice and make this easy. Yeah. I'm glad he thought of that because I would have just been like, this guy you know uh yeah so they bring the little girls kate and jillian back and they're able to pick davis out of a lineup even though he was arrested for violating parole he starts being questioned about the kidnapping of polly he's like i have no idea what you're talking about totally denies it so the authorities let him know that if he wants to talk the door's open so Mies takes Davis into the hallway and he's like, okay, we have all the physical evidence we need. And if you want to talk, uh, all you're looking at right now is kidnapping charges. Like that's all we, that's, that's it. And he's already yeah. had kidnapping charges. So he right. knows that's not a huge deal, obviously. So he's like, okay, here's my name, my number. Uh, I'm going to leave it with the correctional officer. And if you want to talk, just give me a call. Okay, because we we've already got you, so let's make it easy and let's just get you off on the least amount that we can. Right. Don't really think that's gonna happen, but still. So Mike Smith from the fingerprinting lab is now comparing the palm print at the scene of the crime to Davis's. And surprise, surprise, they match. Match. They can now prove that Davis had been in Polly's bedroom. And during this whole time, Davis is in isolation, right? 
so he has no idea he's like just still thinking like i don't even know if they have anything blah 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 but it is all over the news that hey this palm print found in america's daughter's bedroom is this dickhead davis right uh so his friend actually pays him a visit while he's in jail and he's like dude you've been in isolation but they know you did this. You did this. You have to go and talk to investigators and you have to let them know where Polly is. So he's a pretty good guy. Actually. He was like, okay, you've got to like help this family. Right. All right. So Davis realizes he's like, okay, how on earth am I going to be able to like say why my palm print is in her bedroom, this little 12 year old's bedroom. So he decides to make a deal with the authorities. Of course. Right. Davis calls me to meet with him. Davis told me the details of the night of the kidnapping. He said he'd been living in a halfway house and was given permission to go and visit his mother. He had trouble finding her house. I don't understand. Bullshit. What? So he decided instead of visiting his mom when he left the halfway house was to go get beer and just start walking around the streets. It's a great Mm -hmm. idea. Yeah. At one point, he stopped by a man who wanted to sell him marijuana. So he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll buy it. He gets really, really buzzed, he said. He goes to the store, he gets more beer, and then he just finds himself like wandering the neighborhood aimlessly, not sure where he is or what he's doing. So he's very mm-hmm. like, I didn't know, like I was so out of it, right? Davis had come to the area prepared and had packed a bag full of bindings and tape. He Mm -hmm. had cut nylon strips with a pair of scissors and he crawled into the window of a random house and may have picked up a knife from the kitchen. He said he did not remember anything after that. That's it. He just remembers. Oh, got a bag of crazy shit. Right. He was just drunk and like high and decided to go into someone's window and he he thinks he grabbed a knife and that's it. Mm -hmm. He says that he, fi- he just wakes up almost when he finds himself back in his car and he looks over and there's a little girl in his car. Yeah, right. <laughs> I can't. It's so stupid. Oh my God. So he's like, um, there's a little girl in the car. It's obviously Polly. She complains that her bindings are really, really tight. So he loosens them. He drives for a while, pose- pulls over to the side of the road. He ends up getting stuck on the side of the road. He takes her out of the car. He planned to leave her in the darkness until he could figure out how to get his car free from the side of the road. This is where he's at. He gives the story of how the police found him and freed his car and had escorted him to the highway. He said he waited 15 to 30 minutes and then went back to the scene to get Polly. So like she's just hanging out. Oh yeah, she's just hiding out there somewhere. Sure. I'm just going to hang out, wait for your captor to come back. Mm Mm-hmm. He then just said he didn't know what to do. So he just drove around for a while. And then he's like, okay, I don't know. I, I guess I just have to get rid of her because he realized he didn't know what to do. He agrees at this point during the investigation, during his confession to take the investigators to the site where he had gotten rid of Polly. He led them to a field by a lumber mill. He had buried her in a shallow grave just off Highway 101, about a mile south of the city limits of Cloverdale, California. And the grave site is about 20 air miles and about 30 road miles from the searched site. Under some boards, they found the body of Polly Class and she had been strangled. 
Although Davis admitted to strangling class to death, he refused to give investigators a timeline of the events from October 1st. Investigators thought he was fearful that both people who passed him would call the sheriff's department. And it is believed that he killed her before the arrival of, of the deputies and hid her body in the thick brush on the hillside above where his car was stuck. That makes much more sense to me mm-hmm. that he had already killed her when those deputies arrived, when Dana Jaffe was like, some dude is on my property. He just got done doing whatever had Polly up there comes to the side of the road. And so when they escort him, he's going to come back and get her body. Yeah. Right. So just like I said, he says he waits for an undetermined period of time. He likes to be so like, you know, non-specific about all of this. He, about 1.5 miles from where his car was stuck, he was escorted. So then he waits, he goes back, he retrieves her body and he was just really out of breath, sweating profusely, had twigs and leaves in his hair. They said when they saw him, right? Probably because he's been killing a child. Yeah. It was believed that he had chosen the grave site in advance since it would not have been discovered by a casual observer as well. The grave site would have been directly visible from the highway, but the grave was not visible. So you could have seen like that area, but not where he actually put her. So he had to drive around this area where he had selected this grave site every week when he met his police officer so he would have or parole officer so he would have seen any activity in the area so you know he knew the spot right this is planned who brings a duffel bag full of shit like yeah no it's totally planned i rolled my eyes like 30 times while you were telling his whole fucking i know (laughs) They're going to fall out. It's the dumbest shit. He just wants to act like, oh, I was drunk. And and I literally, Woody's like, I looked over and I'm like, there's a child in my car. Are you kidding me? A tied up child randomly in your car. Yeah. Okay. Randomly. Fuck this guy. Yeah. Davis is convicted on June 18th, 1996 of first degree murder and four special circumstances, robbery, burglary, kidnapping, and lewd act on a child in Polly's death. A San Jose Superior Court jury returned a verdict of death. At his formal sentencing by a judge, Davis provoked national outrage by taunting the victim's family, extending the middle finger at the courtroom camera, and later saying that Polly's last words just before he killed her were that her father had molested her. What? Yeah, fuck him. The judge, Thomas Hastings, sentenced Davis to death by lethal injection and said, it is very easy for me to pronounce this sentence, giving your revolting behavior in this courtroom, which good. Yeah. Polly's body was cremated and her ashes were spread over the Pacific Ocean by her friends and family. That's the story, the sad, horrible story of Polly Class, but good things like you had mentioned came out of this, right? So the way missing person cases are handled changed pretty dramatically. So law enforcement agencies are linked to each to other agencies providing vital information to multiple jurisdictions now. So before it was only like in their area, now it's right. all over. Missing person bulletins are now sent over all police channels. So that's great. Yeah. 
A routine pullover traffic stop, uh, officers can now access not only driving, but criminal records. I mean, guys, yikes. Implementation of the three strikes you're out law legislation came from this case and the push to expedite the appeals process in murder cases. So in the United States, habitual offender laws, this is commonly called your three strikes law. Those were first implemented in March of 1994 and are part of the United States Justice Department's anti-violence strategy. So the law requires both a severe violent felon and felony and two other previous convictions to serve a mandatory life sentence in prison. The purpose of the law is to drastically increase the punishment of those convicted of more than two serious crimes. So before I go on, yeah, like kidnapping, what, 20 different times? Yeah, so it's, okay, so somebody who's been convicted of more than two serious crimes. So why can't you have this in like a one strike, you're out? Do you know what I mean? I know, yeah. Like, well, why what are they considering serious? Is it like anything that's like not like under murder or does murder count in the serious category? Well, it's in most jurisdictions, only crimes at the felony level qualify as serious offenses. The street three well, strikes- murder is more than a felony, right? It, I, I would hope. I would hope. I'm looking it up. So, okay. The three strike law significantly increases the prison sentence of persons convicted of a felony who have been previously convicted of two or more violent crimes or serious felonies and limits the ability of these offenders to receive a punishment other than life sentence. So it's very wordy. So it's hard sometimes read between these lines. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> Okay. A felony is any crime that carries the possibility of a year or more and up to life in prison. So that covers a lot of things. That covers pretty much everything. You could go to prison for life for killing somebody. So that's like, or for having like weed or something, you know what I mean? Like not in all States anymore, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, all these things are felonies. So yeah, you still get to do three of them, which I'm not trying to say that this isn't awesome that they've changed it because if it was worse before, then that's awful. But I don't know. I just wish people didn't have the opportunity to continuously. Okay. So felonies are murder, rape, burglary, kidnapping, or arson. All right. So pick two of those. And after that, you'll get in trouble. So you get to do two of those before the three strikes. Before you are sentenced to death. You have got to be kidding me. Yeah. Okay. I mean, unless unless in a court of law, you're already sentenced to death for a murder trial, but it's just like, what? So they're trying to increase like the uh, opportunity for someone to get the death penalty, right? So it it has like a good basis, but (sighs) some people are going to find ways to sneak through this. I feel like, mm-hmm. well, I, I mean, Hey, you get three chances. Yeah. Three so. strikes and you're out like baseball. They said like baseball. They said they do. they're like, it's like, you know, in baseball. All right. 
this is a good thing. There's a foundation established in Polly's name that aids in the cases of missing children. And the foundation was started by Mark Class, her father, who became a child advocate after the death of Polly. It is the Polly Class Foundation. And it says on their site, since our founding in 1993, the foundation has used our compassion, experience, and professionalism to help more than 10,000 families find missing children. So this is a really great website and they have a 24 hour, seven days a week hotline. That is 1-800-587-4357. And we'll post this. And the site is full of resources for parents, teachers, law enforcement, and lawmakers. Like it is for everybody. So it's really a great website. And five years after Polyclass's murder, a performance art center was actually constructed and made in her honor in Petaluma. It was closed in the year 2000 because of lack of, lack of funding. But as of May of 2021, the building was being renovated and it, it's expected to be complete soon. So it'll be again, back up and running and in Polly's name. Cool. Last, um, just a little tidbit about something that happened. Um, actress Winona Ryder, she's from Petaluma and she offered $200,000 for Polly's safe return during the search, which was oh, very wow. nice. And she starred in the film version of Little Women after Polly's death. And she dedicated it to her memory because it was Polly's favorite book. Oh, that's, that's nice. Sweet. Yeah. So now I'm talking to all you parents, all you aunts, all you uncles, all you everybody. Um, I think it's super important to like try and educate our kids uh, mm -hmm. on this. Um, so a brief thing really fast. My oldest is nine. He was in the backyard two days ago with our giant German shepherd who is very protective and he did not ask to go outside. He's supposed to ask to go outside, right? But he's outside. It's a fenced in yard. As long as you got the dog, he's out there though, comes running in. He said there was a man standing not close to one of our gates, but enough that he saw him and he said he was staring at him. Our dog starts barking at this man my child and the dog come inside. He told me, because he knew a little bit about this case when I was researching it, he said, mommy, all I could think of was Polly. If you think about it though, this little bit of knowledge that I've let him have, he doesn't know what happened to her necessarily, but the little bit of knowledge that I let him have that like people will take you, they're not taking you to a party. They are taking you no, to do yeah. something bad to you. And you have to, I mean, as a parent or aunt or uncle or grandparent or whatever, you have to be so careful with your words based on the age, right? But he knew, hey, the, something bad will happen if this person takes me. I, mm -hmm. my mom told me about this case and I am going in the house, you know? Well, this is why I am such a huge advocate of a safe word. Yeah. Because you remember yes. my last place that, my last case, the dating game killer, Tally Shapiro, he said he knew her parents. Yes. If they had a safe word, she could have asked him and he wouldn't have known it. And she might yes. not have gotten in the car. Yes. So when I was growing up, we had a safe word that if somebody was to ever come and say that they knew our parents and they were supposed to take us, you know, pick us up or whatever. If we asked them for the safe word and they didn't know the safe word, then we didn't go with them. Right. I'm a huge advocate 
of safe words. There was also another case. Um, I can't remember how long ago, but this little girl was walking home from school and somebody pulled over and tried to abduct her. And she asked them if they knew the safe word and they didn't. So she started screaming and ran away and she got away. Good job. That's so awesome. it come up yeah. with a word that only you guys know that isn't something that's super easy to just yeah. figure out or come up with, come up Not, with a yeah. special word that only you guys know. Don't tell anybody, don't write it down. Only you guys in the family should know this word. Right. And that way, if this ever comes up, they can ask, well, what's the safe word? And if they don't know it, then they know they are not supposed to go with them. That's right. And don't make it something easy, like your pet's name. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like Like something that only you guys would know that's not something easy that anybody could just randomly come up with. You know what I mean? Like it Mm -hmm. needs to be something very off the wall that only you guys would know. Yeah that was the word and why that was the word. Yeah. That's, that's, I mean, we still use ours to this day every now and then my mom will be like, um, where are you? And if she feels like something's off, she'll be like, (laughs) yeah, put the word in the safe word. Yeah. We're not really supposed to, we don't type it out, but anyway, yeah, it's, um, it's a, it's a great habit to get into and anybody with children should adopt this safe word thing. Absolutely. It could, it could save your kid's life one day. 100%. All right. So now I want to just touch on a couple more ways that we can protect our kids because 1993 and 2022 are very different times, right? Yeah. The threats to children are, they've increased in like just significant ways. So Mm -hmm. sexual predators can get in touch with kids over internet, right? Big time. Mm -hmm. All these social media sites. Okay. I've not even heard of some of these, but tell me if you have. Meet me. I think I've heard of that. Um, Scout, S K O U T. Grinder, we've heard of that. Yeah. Bumble, mm-hmm. ask.fm. Hmm. Um, the What's Up app. I know that one. Yeah. Le- uh, live me. Never heard of that. TikTok, Snapchat. Is it Live Me? Oh, Live Me. You're right. I've still yeah. heard of that. Um, TikTok, Snapchat. Holla, never heard of that. No. Um, Badu. No. Whisper. What? Right? Hot or not? I've heard of that. Yeah. And then this one is called Calculator Percent. Okay. If you see on your kid's cell phone another calculator that is not the calculator that comes with your smartphone, check it out. And ask, like, push on it, see what happens. If it still just looks like a calculator, ask your child about it. Because if they enter a certain password, four-digit password, it becomes a vault that opens up to all kinds of little apps and different ways for people to communicate with other people around, like, you know, different sources to communicate over the internet. Yep. How fucking tricky is that? And first, who made this app? Are they yeah. trying to get people killed? I don't get it. How fucked uh, up is that? I was like, oh my God. So I was listening to this detective actually that was like, if you see another calculator, investigate it. And if yeah. it just still looks like a calculator, ask your kid and see if there's a certain little like code that you put in there. And if something just opens up and it's no longer a calculator, it's something else. Mm-hmm. It's bullshit. 
All right. So I'd say, you know, setting some ground rules, establishing like clear guidelines. So what type of sites your kids can visit, uh, different apps they can download and like just trying to consider like some blackout time too. Cause a lot of people, like I said, my oldest is nine. I know a lot of his friends take their cell phones, which mine are not having anytime soon and iPads or whatever, um, any device into their bedroom. Mm-hmm. No, that yeah. isn't, that's a no. Like, well, that's why they have parent controls now on these things too, which definitely know, but kids are use. so smart. Mm-hmm. They can get out of that. I feel like. Well, I, I'm not saying, I'm just saying like, use the parent controls. Yes. Don't let them take their, <laughs> their electronics to bed with them. Like, mm-hmm. come on. We all know, like back when we had just like the little cell phone with fucking snake on it. Like, yeah, come on. Like yep. we know what you're doing in there. And now they have access to tons of shit. Oh yeah. Through the internet. Yeah. There was this, uh, the detective was also talking about this, uh, little girl that the parents found out that she was talking to somebody who could have been pretending to be a child who knows could have been a sexual predator. She, they heard her talking at nighttime in her room. Well, why did you let her have her cell phone or whatever yeah. she was talking on? Why did you do that? I mean, establish ground rules. He, one thing he said was, he goes, that's your phone. That's your house. That's your bed. It's all yours. That's your yeah. child. This is like, people are like, Oh, I don't want to invade privacy. Fuck that. I will invade that privacy. Well, that's the problem with the new generation is that they're like, oh, freedom. And we don't want to invite, invade their privacy and blah, blah, blah. And they can choose to be whatever they want to be. And it's like, no, until they leave your fucking house, they need to be what you tell them to be. They need to do what you tell them to do. Like, yes, no, that's why so many people have no fucking respect like I, we could go on all day, oh, we could. I just like hate the new generation, dude. They fucking suck. And it's because <laughs> it's because their parents don't fucking parent. It's true. 100, 100%. I um, mean, I don't know if you've seen it, but I've been watching euphoria and some of the kids on there are supposed to be 16. And one of them cat is like on one of those like sex sites, like uh, talking to people online and getting money sent to her and stuff like 16. 16 and you know they're a lot younger than that that are doing that kind of shit absolutely i don't know about you but i didn't even lose my virginity until i was 19 me either. i know 19. For a, i know for a fact that kids these days are losing it way fucking sooner than that and i mean even when i was young people were losing it sooner than that oh, yeah. but now now 2022 like oh my god yeah oh my god All right. So like you were saying, parental settings, privacy settings, um, uh, the whole location sharing to keep that off, right. On Facebook and all these things. And if it says off, keep it off, it says locate, but not like if you're sharing, like you and I share where we're at together. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's fine. But like if Facebook or you come onto a website, it's like, Hey, share your location, say no. Yeah. 
consider, teach your kids to consider the information they're putting out there. So for younger kids, um, that information could be address, phone number, birth date, right? Mm -hmm. Understand like what you should post. Um, And then for older people, like what's appropriate, what's going to come back at you? You know what I mean? For an older Mm -hmm. kid, like if you post that photo, that might go across your entire classroom via phone. Oh, anything that's uploaded into the internet will stay on the internet forever, whether you delete it or not. Nudes, sex tapes, all these things will come back to bite you in the ass later. It (laughs) does not fucking matter. If it goes into the cloud, you're never getting it back, whether you delete it or not. So next time you think about taking that fucking nude selfie for your boyfriend, think about maybe six months from now when he cheats on you and decides to send the picture to everybody because you broke up with him because it's going to fucking happen. Just don't do it. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Nope. And just like kind of what you're saying, if you, if it's, oh, if it would not be okay to do it when you're not online, it is not okay to do it online. So many people are like, oh, I'm behind my computer. No, 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 no. Like so many people meet people these days through the computer. I mean, I met my husband on Bumble. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's so much, most people these days don't even interact in person as much anymore. You've already met the person and had a bunch of conversations with them online or through your phone before you even meet them in person. And you can be anybody behind a computer screen. You can find pictures all over the internet that of somebody else to send to somebody to say that you're so-and-so and and then meet them in person and you're not. Never meet somebody in a secluded fucking area. No, only ever meet them in a public place around tons of people during the day Mm -hmm. and make sure that you always let somebody know where you're going. Multiple people should know where you're going, who you're going to see, any information you can give them about them, what their name is, what their phone number is. Make sure that people know that shit because in this day and age, any of these idiots can message you and meet up with you and you could get kidnapped or killed or raped or sold into sex slavery or yes. whatever. One. That's 100%. the other thing. Pay attention to where you're going. If you're a female, you know what I mean? If you feel uncomfortable getting an Uber at night, don't get a fucking Uber at night. Like, yeah. call you know what someone. I mean? Even just if you think because, you're going to get in trouble, call your parents. Just because, oh, exactly. Just because it's an Uber doesn't mean they're not going to do some shady shit. Doesn't mean that they might not kill you or be a sex offender or whatever. Exactly. It doesn't mean that you might not get molested in the car. Like, don't trust these things. 100%. I'm not taking an Uber to the airport. I'm just, somebody's going to give me a fucking ride. And I'm sorry, but my husband's going to pick me up whether he fucking wants to or not. You know what I mean? Like, these are things that should happen. And by the way, if you're a husband and your wife doesn't feel comfortable taking an Uber somewhere, step the fuck up and drive her there because we have a lot more shit to be worried about than you guys do. And if I don't feel comfortable taking a fucking Uber somewhere, I shouldn't have to take a fucking Uber somewhere. I remember being at a bar one night and I needed to go home. I was trying to go home and Every Uber that kept popping up was a man. And I was like, no, I am not getting in the fucking car with a man. So I ended up finally calling my mom and having her pick me up because I was like, I'm not going home. I'm not taking this risk in the middle of the night riding with some random fucking dude that I don't know. I don't care how many fucking stars he has. You know what I mean? Like, no. Well, and, you know, and especially as like, and that's okay. That is is okay. It is okay to feel like that. Don't let anybody fucking make you 
think that it's not okay to feel that way. If you feel uncomfortable, then you feel uncomfortable. End of story. Right. Well, and as a child or, you know, up to your teens, you might be scared that you're going to get in trouble if you call your parents, but it's going to be they worse would if much, you die. They would much <laughs> rather you call them and be inconvenienced staff to come pick you up than to get a call from a police later, a cop later that they found your dead body somewhere. Yes. 100%. Your parents will not care. They will be happy that you asked them to come get them. And if you don't have that relationship with your parents, find somebody else that you could help that, that will do it with. for you. Yep. Uh, at the age of, I think, 28 years old, I went to a little Dickie concert in Panama City Beach, Florida, and ended up getting asked to go backstage, got super hammered, didn't go home when I was supposed to, was we got me and my friend got an Uber home, but the next morning I was still drunk when I woke up and I had to go to work. So I called my mother at 28 years old to come pick my ass up and take me to work. And she <laughs> did it and she wasn't mad at me. She was just happy that I didn't drive to work knowing that I was still drunk. <laughs> I think it's hilarious that you went to work as well, but. <laughs> oh, I did. I went to work. It was the worst torture ever. And um, really that's funny. the other thing though. They all knew I was going to a concert. And if I had called in sick, they would have known I was full of shit. And I was like, yeah. you know what? I'm just going to, it's going to be like, I'm just going to torture myself and go to work. Cause it's nobody else's fault that I ended yeah. up getting to go backstage. and got super shit based. Like, right. That's nobody's fault, but mine. Exactly. So <laughs> that's really funny. Okay. A couple more things for parents and kids and whatnot. Okay. So teaching your kids to spot common tricks used by online offenders. So the national center for missing and exploited children, these are their cyber tip line reports. The most common tactics used to entice a child online are engaging the child in sexual conversation or role-playing as a grooming method. Sick. Directly asking the child for sexually explicit images of themselves or offering too much mutually exchanged uh, or offering to mutually exchange images. Like Caitlin said, just don't do it. Developing a rapport with the child through compliments or, you know, like liking all their online posts. Mm. sending unprompted sexually explicit images of themselves unsolicited dick pics yeah pretending to be young and they're maybe like a grown-ass adult Mm -hmm. and offering incentives like oh i'll give you whatever if you send me this picture no that's Mm -hmm. enough um, there's some legal restrictions in place to help protect your kids' con, uh, consumer privacy and ensure that they're using age-appropriate websites and apps. And the Children's Online Privacy Protection App or Act prevents kid-targeted websites and apps from collecting data from kids younger than 13 without parental consent. So that's kind of where the age is. Like once you hit 13, there's not as many rules or laws. So you got to really still be on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Spotting red flags. So if a child is experiencing online enticement, they may spend more time online. So pay Mm -hmm. attention to that. Get upset, like really upset when they're not allowed to use their device. Uh, Take extra steps to conceal what they're doing online. Mm-hmm. The thinking they're smarter than everyone else. And like, right. oh, I got rid of that. Or receiving gifts from people that you don't know. That's a big one too. Mm-hmm. Fuck that. So just a couple more things. So this is something I'm going to do. Download the app, Custodial Parental Controls. Guys, 
This gives you the kid daily screen time, time limits, app monitoring, app blocking, website monitoring, a seven day history app report, YouTube and Facebook monitoring, a family locator, geolocation, kid tracker and alerts, and any text messages that are being sent via Instagram, Snapchat, whatever, any messages, you will be able to see them and you'll be able to see the deleted ones because like Caitlin said, that shit doesn't disappear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean, even though in Snapchat, it says that it disappears and you can't see it again, it doesn't mean somebody like the cops couldn't go in and pull all that shit back up because they right. can't. Isn't that a good app? There's other apps too, but I think that app is awesome. I, I mean, mm-hmm. my kids aren't going to get phones forever, but when they do, I am going to be up on this shit. I personally don't think that they need one until they start driving and they're no longer, you know what I mean? And then they're going to start going out on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe like just like a little cheap one, just for if they're going to be at somebody's house or whatever, you know what I mean? But not like a good smartphone. Like if you're going to give them one early, give them one that doesn't do anything like a fucking little flip phone that does nothing. You know what right. I mean? That like the cricket ones that are just three buttons, like call, hang up, contacts, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like that way they can let you know when they're at a friend's house or whatever, but until, they don't really need a smartphone until they start driving. And even then, honestly, they don't really need a smartphone, but you know what yeah. I mean? Like GPS yeah. is good to have and stuff when you start driving. So 16, I feel like it, 15, 16, whatever, whenever you start, you get a car. Mm-hmm. would be the appropriate age to get a cell phone. Well, another thing that this detective said was the average age in the year 2022 to get a cell phone is nine or 10 years old. What? Yep. That is not happening in my house. That's Harper with a cell phone. Yeah. That's my oldest with a cell phone. I don't phone. think so. Yeah. That's a horrible idea. I um, feel like I would be getting text messages all the time. <laughs> you would. <laughs> um, but at mm-hmm. least, oh my God. Anyway, so what one thing that I just have to say is time, attention, active conversation. Those are the best tools. Be involved. I totally get it. Caitlin knows I'm a freaking insane person. I'm super busy. I'm working 18,000 different yoga jobs and other things. And my kids are doing a million things and I feel like I'm losing my mind and it's really hard to be on top of them, but you have to, because if you're not, nobody Mm -hmm. else is, do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you have to just spend the time, but if you do notice anything crazy online or anything that you're worried about, you can always go to report.cybertip.org. And I will place that in our show show notes as well. Uh, Just try and help any way you can. I feel like protect, you know, the safety of your kids. For sure. Should we talk about trivia? Yeah, trivia. (laughs) All right. So last week's question was, who was diagnosed with Munchausen syndrome by proxy after losing nine children? Yikes. The answer was Mary Beth Tinning. We did have a few people answer incorrectly. And those people were M underscore Randa 91. Maddie underscore stay gold. The evil and the wicked podcast. And Danielle 822. Okay. Can I ask you a question? What's up? Did they all DM you? 
They did. Good job, guys. Mm-hmm. Yay. I also made sure to put it in the post too. Okay, good. <laughs> this time I was like, do not comment this and DM it. Okay, good. Um, all right. So this week's question is, what do serial killers Kenneth Bonacci and Douglas Clark have in common? Mm. Okay. Good job. Yay. Okay. So let's see who can answer that right. DMing our yes, Instagram. DM your answers. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. We're just really trying to avoid copycats. So letting everybody have, you know, a good shot. Yeah. Everybody have an opportunity to answer without just jumping on and seeing the answer and immediately adding it into. It's kind of hard too. Like if you look and you see everybody has the same answer and if you had a different yeah, one, you're like, wait you're a second. Probably going to answer the correct one and, <laughs> right. or the one that the that the majority vote is yeah. versus what you actually thought it was. So yeah, for sure. So yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right, cool. We look forward to your answers. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, go ahead and check out our website. Um, don't get in the van podcast.com. Check out all of our listening sources, subscribe, rate, review, share, share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a big one. Share. Spotify allows you to rate podcasts now. So if you are so inclined Yes. Swing by and give us a rating. Do it. Just give us ratings. We like feedback too. So we do. So if you have, if you want to leave a review and you have something that uh, maybe we aren't doing that you'd like to see us do or, or something that we are and that you are, that you love, whatever it is that you want, that you feel the need to tell us, we would love to hear it. Yes. And any suggestions for episodes? We're still Mm -hmm. taking those as well. Yep. Still taking episode suggestions, always taking episode suggestions. Yes for sure. All right. Well, again, thank you for listening. As always, remember, don't don't get get in the the van. van.